Yes, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You don't have to encourage me to get out of I don't ever want to get away. Tonight is beautiful. It's got my mind on you. And everywhere I turn is a reminder. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Peter communicated the essence of a pastor's job. We teach you, but we also must remind you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Therefore I, Peter will always keep on being ready to remind you of these things in the Word of God, even though you already know them, and even though you have been established in the truth, the gospel message, which is already present within you, meaning you're a Christian. 2 Peter 1.13, I, Peter, consider it right, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, his physical body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Well, me too. Every lesson, I start by reminding you who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what Barah Ministry stands for, and who's God in it, who God's enemy is. And I repeat it and repeat it and repeat it so you can't forget it. Why? Because it's that important to you. So as a reminder, who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, meaning he is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. No one else ever can make that claim. Not Buddha not Joseph Smith, not the Dalai Lama, not Mohammed, not Allah. None of those pretenders can make that claim. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and nothing happens in the universe without his permission, and he is the Jewish Messiah. And some of my Jewish friends miss that, but they have been set aside for a period of time, but all of the promises that our Lord made to Abraham will be fulfilled including the real estate covenant, the new covenant, the Davidic covenant. There were five covenants that the Lord made with David, and they will all be fulfilled. As a reminder, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. As a reminder, who is God's enemy? God has an enemy, Satan, 
whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world, and the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned from the throne of running planet Earth at a future time by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we will live with him here on Earth again for a thousand years in what's called the millennial reign of Christ. Satan is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. Satan attacks our God's character, he discredits God's word, and he distracts our minds so that we won't pay attention to the truth of the word of God. When I am studying the Bible, that's when everybody calls me. That's when everybody texts me. If I have that little bell on on my phone, it starts sounding like, uh, you know, the Liberty Bell going off. It's just ding, 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 ding. If I'm bored, I just pick up a Bible book, and all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk to me. Everybody wants to call me. It's beautiful. It works every time. Now, Satan's strategy against the human race is called religion, which is designed to make us either indifferent or antagonistic to God. Now, when I say that, oh, there are a lot of Christian religions. No, there aren't. There's Christianity and there's religion, and they are enemies. They are not the same. And so get that out of your head. Oh, well, there are a lot of denominations. No, there aren't. Yeah, there are. And all those denominations are part of a religion. That is not Jesus Christ. If it's got, generally speaking, if it's got Christ in the name only, that's Christian. See? The Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. That's a counterfeit. Latter-day Saints. You don't need to add anything to Jesus Christ. He is completely sufficient, totally enough, fills up all the fullness of our deficiencies as well. So, his, Satan's strategy against the human race is religion. And religion makes you indifferent toward God or antagonistic to God. I can't tell you how many people I've met in my life who are turned off to God simply because they're turned off to religion. Don't be turned off to God because you're turned off to religion because they are not the same. Matthew chapter 23 verse 15 says this, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel around on sea and land to make one convert to your religion, and when he becomes converted, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. God is not a fan of religion. Religion deceives many into thinking they are saved when they might not be, and it works really well. Billions of people are deceived, and those who are deceived by religion don't stop to examine the doctrines of their religion to look for the deception by comparing their religion's doctrines to the Bible's doctrines. When you compare religious doctrines to Bible doctrines, they are saying exactly opposite things. Now, if you've never done that, you ought to do it for practice. But the Word of God, the Bible, is absolute truth, and it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. As a reminder, are Christians striving to please God? Believers in Christ are not fighting for the victory in this life. We are operating from the victory in this life. We have victorious ground. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. 
First John chapter 4, verse 4 says this, You are from God, little children, and you have overcome the false teachers, because greater is the Lord who is indwelling you than he who is in the world, Satan and his demon army. So press on. Welcome to the lesson. Let's get started studying. Today's Bible lesson, the Beatles were right. All we need is love. As we transition to the next section of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the believers at Corinth in chapter 13, we're in for a treat. You've heard these verses many times, especially if you have ever been to a wedding, yet you've probably neither been taught what these verses really mean, nor have you ever learned these verses within the context of the passage that they come from. Well, in today's lesson, we begin our study of one of the most misunderstood passages in God's Word, and we'll learn that your spiritual gifts are worthless if they're not accompanied by the supreme Christian virtue, love. The Beatles were right. All you need is love. All right, well, let's hear some other music. There is a divine solution for every one of your human problems. Please let that sink in. There is a divine solution for every one of your human problems. Any obstacle you are facing in this life was also faced by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 5 says this, We believers in Christ do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus Christ definitely sympathizes with our weaknesses because he didn't sit up in heaven in a throne thinking about theory. He came down to earth and lived the life we live. We have a high priest who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. When we're tempted, what happens? Sin. When he was tempted, what happened? Perfection. So, Jesus used divine power on his problems instead of human power. The same privilege is available to you as a believer in Christ. Because of the way the Lord Jesus Christ handled problems the right way, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, God the Father highly exalted Jesus Christ. What does exalted mean? Promoted Jesus Christ. Lifted him up on high and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. Well, Kim Walker Smith says in song that joy, hope, victory, and love have a name. The same name that is the exalted name, Jesus. Let's hear Jesus culture sing, Love Has a Name. There's a name 
Now I'm on, right? All right. No better name than Jesus. He is the one. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. 
Father, we're so grateful to be alive today, so grateful to be a part of your plan, so grateful to be in your mind one day at a time, every day for all eternity, so grateful that you sent your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to handle the sin problem on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to you, so grateful that you keep on pouring the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit into us so that we have divine power for our human problems. So grateful that you love us unconditionally. As we listen to your word today, we pray that you teach us how to love others as you love us unconditionally. And especially, we pray that you teach us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's lesson, the Beatles were right. All you need is love. All right, we've completed our study of the first 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians. The letter details several of the growing pains that are plaguing believers in first cent- the first century church in Corinth. And one of the things that we need to remember is these are believers in Christ acting like idiots. And Paul's message to them is, stop being selfish. Think of the needs of others. Don't just think of yourself. It is the exact same message that resonates well with us today. Because we are me, me, my, my, I, I culture. We always have been. Right? We're always thinking about us first. There's nothing wrong with thinking. Thinking of yourself is not selfish. If you don't think of yourself, I got to tell you this right now. If you start choking me, if you put your hands around my neck and start choking me, I am not thinking about you at that moment. In any other way except I'm going to hurt you. I'm thinking about breathing, right? So there's nothing wrong with thinking about yourself. And Satan's kingdom wants you to think that if you're, if you're thinking about yourself, you're selfish. That's not what selfishness is. It, Satan's kingdom wants you to, to, to think that if you do something really cool and you start talking about it, you're not humble. You're not humble. You know, my son, when he was playing basketball, scored 31 points in a game, and he went in to talk to the coach. And you know what the first thing the coach said to him when he went in to talk to the coach? Be careful what the first thing that comes out of your mouth is. Be humble. Be humble. Humble, hell. I just scored 31 points. How many kids have scored 31 points in a basketball game in Gilbert, Arizona this year? None. Be humble. But that's the crap we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be self-effacing all the time. How can we do that when we spend 90% of our time mentally beating ourselves up? Why can't we have a moment? It's not bragging if it's true. He scored 31 points. That's not bragging. It's a fact. But that's... So being... Thinking of self is not selfish, but that's not what the Corinthians were doing. What they were doing is bagging on other people. What they were doing is being inconsiderate of other people, and that is selfish. So as a reminder, here are some of the problems that existed in the church at first century Corinth. 
And when you hear the list, you'll know that the more things change, the more they stay the same. We have the exact same problems in churches all over the world today. So we can't study the Corinthians and say, mm, mm, mm. boy, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I ain't lying, Junior. Because that's what we want to do. And that's what we do with the relationships in our life. We're always pointing at them and telling them what's wrong with them. But like my friend Paria says, watch out, Pastor Rory. When you're pointing at me, there are three fingers pointing back at you. And that's right. And that's what we do consistently in relationships. We forget that we're just as bad or worse. And so when you start to realize how lousy you are on a consistent basis, then you'll start to have some mercy for other people when they make mistakes. But we don't. We have amnesia about everything that's related to us and, and total recall about everything that somebody else has done. And that is selfish. That is childish as well. I have a, a best friend for nearly 50 years, Billy McKinney. He's a, a former uh, assistant general manager of the Chicago Bulls. He ran the Timberwolves and the Pistons and played in the NBA for seven years. And we've been very, very close over the years. And we used to sit around and play, play backgammon. I know that the, the bottom line is with Billy, I know everything about him. I know everything good about him, and I know all of his skeletons. So I wrote him a letter one time. And I, I was just saying, you know, I just am really appreciative of your friendship. And I just want to recall some of the things that I've seen happen with you over the course of the years. And I put about 10 of the lousy things that he's done, right? And I, he, he, he knew I was being funny and I was intentionally being funny. But the funniest thing is he wrote me back a letter and he told me about 20 things that I had done that were worse. And when I read that letter, it was a shock because honestly, I had forgotten all of those things. But the other thing is I never considered what somebody else may have seen as they were looking at those things. See? And so when we do stuff, we have our little viewpoint of it that we, well, it's not that bad. We obscure it. But if somebody else is looking at it, some of that stuff is downright disgusting. Right? So... We don't have any right to be selfish, really. Instead, what we need to do is learn to care for each other and learn to care about and value relationships and learn that the most important part of a relationship is treatment. It's how you treat somebody else. And you ought to treat them better than yourself. So when we look at this list, please don't think that this is just the first century Corinthians. This is your list, too. So here it is. Christians taking Christians to court to let unbelievers decide their fate instead of handling trivial matters among believers. And as I say these, immediately something specific pops up into my head. I can tell you two people who were Christians who fought for two years and almost ruined each other in the process. Some of the believers in the church at Corinth were engaged in pagan practices that amounted to idolatry, eating idol meat in idol temples, for example, to the ruination of immature, underdeveloped believers who were being lured into these pagan practices by the conduct of allegedly mature believers. My mom is a believer in Christ. 
My mom is in heaven today, and my mom was a horoscope junkie. Okay? Horoscopes are idolatry. All right, so Linda Goodman's sun sign, Sidney Omar, every day, what are you? Are you an Aries? I'm a cancer. You have cancer in your brain because you're not studying the word of God, mom. It has nothing to do with the zodiac sign. And how appropriate my mom was a cancer because the sign of the cancer is crab. She was a crabby old woman. But I loved her, Amen. So, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to talk about Dorothy like that. Dot. Toto, too? <laughs> a man in the Corinthian church was having sex with his mother-in-law. Ew! Ew, I can't even imagine that. And the practice was being condoned by church members. There's the really bad part. There were abuses during the Lord's Supper celebration. Believers with more resources and privileges in their lives were refusing to share the good food and drink that they were bringing with those who were less fortunate. There was a separation during the Lord's Supper. There was a room called the Triclinium where all the rich hung out, and then there was the atrium where the Pope people hung out. So that promoted division and rivalries. Oh, look at the pagans out in the atrium. How gosh. Oh, I live in Scarsdale. <laughs> you know, there's nothing worse than getting swept in Burger King. Like, why are you wearing jeans? This is Burger King. That's why I'm wearing jeans. In Scottsdale, you get sweet, swept in Burger King for wearing jeans. It's incredible. But this uh, promoted divisions and rivalry. There were even people who showed up to the Lord's Supper celebration drunk and who continued their drunkenness during the celebration because they had brought all this cool wine, thus profaning one of the most sacred celebrations in the Christian way of living. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is addressing a group of elitists, the so-called spiritually gifted ones in the congregation, who were causing division by claiming that their spiritual gift, the glossalia, the gift of tongues, was more spiritual than the spiritual gifts of the lesser members in the congregation, and it incited a civil war. A house divided against itself will not stand. Amen? Amen. Think about your relationships. And as we know, God is not partial in the matter of social status, rich or poor, in the matter of racial status, black or white or yellow or green or brown or all the other stupid colors people mention that people aren't that color, or gender. Yet in the United States, what are we always talking about? Race. We're always talking about, you know, what, what did uh, Joe Biden say? He said something about how, you know, the, I, I can't even quote it, but it was something to the effect that you know, rich kids are, are, are just as cool as the black kids, right? And all the black kids were poor kids. He, did, he said something like that, which is just indicative of stuff that just comes out accidentally but reveals the character and nature and the soul of a person who looks at people and sees a color of skin and then immediately makes a series of conclusions. And I tell you all the time, I fly first class, and I'll be the first one in line, and people will just walk around me, right? 
And I said, oh, somebody missed manners class in kindergarten. What are you doing? Oh, we're in first class. Oh, okay. That's cool. Because I couldn't be in first class, right? And I, I've, had, I've had gate agents or ticket agents. I'd be going up to a line, and maybe I wasn't dressed. You know, maybe I had a sweatsuit on, okay. I mean, maybe I didn't have my suit and tie on. Sir, this is the first class line. The main cabin, the main cabin, they mean steerage. The main cabin is over there. Oh, okay, well, thank you, but if I have a first class ticket, can I be in this line? See, I am absolutely the wrong person to mess with on the racial scene, right? I am. I can tell you stories, man, I, I, no, I'm not going to start. I got other stuff to do. <laughs> so, God is fair. God is not partial. God doesn't see color or social status or gender. And he's certainly not partial in the distribution of spiritual gifts. So as you listen to what the Corinthians are doing, where do you see this? sin, divisiveness, and elitism showing up in your life? That's what you got to ask. Are you engaging in a selfish way of life, or are you living your life for others? Are you living unconditional love, or does your life reflect conditional love? As in, I love you as long as you do what I want you to do. Is that your attitude? That's why I hate doing weddings, because these two people are sitting here in blissful love, romantic love. But the only thing that's important to the bride is what the flowers look like on the table. Obsessing about that crap and what presents and the registry and all that, as opposed to the person. And all the groom is thinking about is the wedding night. Amen? I'm going to be frank. I'll be frank. If you're getting married soon, you better get ready. Wow, the truth. The truth's rough, isn't it? It's rough. So thank God for the Word of God, which challenges us to let God the Holy Spirit lead us to an unselfish life filled with unconditional love. Unconditional love for God, unconditional love for self. Hello? I don't know whether you heard that. Unconditional love with yourself. Put your rubber hose away. Stop beating yourself up. Stop feeling guilty. Stop condemning yourself. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ. What does no mean? None. Nada. If I need to say it to you in Spanish, amen? <laughs> Comprende? Es de mexicano. Habla español. I'm a little crazy today. I got some sleep. It happens when I get some sleep. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 say this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace within yourself. God wants you to think of self first. Patience, kindness, goodness toward others, which is, uh, which is the next thing. Think about others. And then finally, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your relationship with God. Against these virtues, there is no law. Now, God expects you to be able to hold more than one thought in your head at a time. So these are not serial. One after another is three things simultaneously. Think about God. Think about self. Think about others simultaneously. And God, the Holy Spirit, is responsible for producing this fruit singular in your life. And how he does it is he uses the word of God inside of us when we take on uh, the Word of God on a, uh, when take in the Word of God on a regular basis. I was telling Denise on the way in that I just feel so happy right now in my life. So happy. And she said, well, why is that? I said, because I'm reading more. I'm reading again. And when you start to read at 65 years old, all of these things that you've learned over your lifetime start to be flushed out and flushed up. Well, I've been taking in the Word of God for 40 years, and I'm reading a lot of books by pastors, former pastors, and seeing how they see things. And it just brings up all of this amazingness that's been planted systematically over the course of time through the intake of the Word of God. And it's amazing, amazing, and you just feel this absolute joy inside because everything associated with God is amazing, especially him and his word inside of you changes you. And it doesn't take 50 hours a week like it takes for your career. It takes two hours a week or five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day. I'll just pick up a book and read a chapter in 15 minutes, and all of a sudden, life is different. Right? Can I get an amen? amen? So practice that. All right, so he keeps on, God the Holy Spirit keeps on conforming us through the study of the Word of God to a maturity that surpasses comprehension. God the Holy Spirit is able to make you happy. You as a person aren't able to make anybody happy. You're lucky if you make yourself happy ever. Let's begin our study of the next section of this three-chapter passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14 is what we're studying, where the Apostle Paul is taking on the next challenge in the Corinthian congregation. You'll remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now concerning the spiritually gifted ones, brethren. And you know that whenever Paul is addressing something that was asked of him by Chloe and her people in this letter, he starts off that he's addressing it by saying, now concerning. And now concerning Chloe and her people, it said there are these spiritually gifted ones, these elitists in the congregation. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the spiritual gifts issue since you're so smart and so knowledgeable. And the elitists thought that they were the bomb.com. They thought they had it all. So he begins by insulting them in chapter 12. And then we studied that. Well, here's the next section we'll study, 1 Corinthians chapter, 12, chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. The Beatles were right, all we need is love. Now, you've heard these verses a lot of times in your lifetime, so just listen to them. Here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but did not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13, 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I know all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, 
I am nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. All right, get your Kleenex out. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Love is patient. <laughs> love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. That's lighter fluid love right there, right? That romantic love that we have. Is that what they're talking about here? But that's what they're talking about it being at a wedding. That's not what it is. It's something else. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. 1 Corinthians, when's the last time you did that? When's the last time you ignored it when somebody hurt your feelings? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. I, I know a woman who's been married to the same guy for 41 years, a professional athlete who's had a thousand affairs in their relationship. She never left. Why is that? It's called integrity. She made a promise and she's keeping it. And that promise had nothing to do with him. Amen? That's called unconditional love. She knew who she was marrying, just like you do. But yet, what do most people do? At the sign of the first mistake, I'm out. Wow, congratulations. You're just an amazing human being. You run at the first sign of problems. He cheated on me. She cheated on me. Okay, so... So what? So you think you're going to get through the life without betraying that person? It's not going to happen. But the only people who know that are old people, June. You know, we've fallen in enough holes, but try to tell that to a 30-year-old woman. Try to tell that to a 30-year-old guy. This is normal. This is life. You married a human being. That human being is not only going to make this one mistake, it's going to make 150,000 mistakes. We all sin. And we all sin all the time. That's why Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for something that you couldn't. Amen? If he forgives it, why can't you? Because you ain't him. That's why. Short answer, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, and there are, they will be done away. If there are tongues, and there are, they will cease. And if there is knowledge, and there is, they will be done away. Why? Because those gifts were important before the written canon of Scripture was closed in A.D. 90. After A.D. 90, those gifts ceased operation. So for all of you who think tongues is still a viable gift, it is not. It's done. 
And for those of you who didn't know what tongues are, tongues is when you speak in your language to a person who does not speak your language and they hear you in their language. That's what tongues is. So anybody who claims that they speak in tongues and you're in that bat da 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 that is not tongues. Tongues is, hello, my name is Rory, and the person who speaks Spanish hears, hola, mi ama, Roro. Amen? Oh, yeah, no, I got game. Yeah, don't make me bring out the whole lexicon. Don't make me start ordering. Don't make me start ordering food. Uh, con permiso, un taco, por favor. Don't make me start ordering food because I'm hungry anyway. 1 Corinthians 13, 9. For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, but when the perfect comes, the canon of Scripture, the partial will be done away. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known by God. Oh, that feels good. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But now faith, hope, and love abide in the sphere of these three. But the greatest of these is... Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> the greatest of these is love. Well, when we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll begin our verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Beatles were right. All we need is love. Do you trust your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you believe what he says in his word? Do you believe that he's telling you the truth? Using King Solomon's wisdom, the Lord gave sound advice in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1, which says this, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters for you will find a return after many days. When you give, you can expect that the Lord will give it back to you in abundance. 
In addition, you know the Lord always sets the example for us to follow and then invites us to reflect his thinking and his conduct. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 shows us what he did. You believers in Christ know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was God, he is deity. Yet for your sake, to pay for your sins with his blood by dying on a cross, he became poor, taking on the form of a human, true humanity, so that you, through his poverty of being a human, might become rich. So then I don't understand why Christians have this attitude about giving. Why they have the alligator arm about giving. Why they crumble up a dollar bill and throw it in the offering. Why? Because that didn't come from God, because God is demonstrating how we ought to be thinking. And by the way, don't think that that poverty mentality that you have only applies to your spiritual life. That same exact mentality is the reason why you don't have an untouchable savings account and why you're not dumping 10% of your income in there every time. It's a poverty mentality. You pay your bills first because they're more important than you. Well, what the Lord wants from you in the matter of giving is detailed in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, which says this, For if the readiness to give is present in you, it is acceptable to give according to what you have not according to what you don't have. Did you hear that? It's acceptable in God's eyes to give according to what you have and not according to what you don't have. And many churches actually ask for your mortgage payment when you're giving. You give us your mortgage payment this month and we'll give you absolutely free, a touch from God. (laughs) Well, the Lord doesn't sanction that idea at all, although as I was writing that, I was thinking, I ought to try that. I'd ask for a mortgage payment once in a while. But you would do what you always do. You would just laugh at me and say, get on with the lesson. So anyway, give generously from what you have. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I love being a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth and the Word of God. Amen. And that's a lot of, not a lot of stuff, not a lot of truth coming out of the world right now. And it's funny, as we study Corinthians, it, it really looks just like modern-day modern day life. People always say the Bible's outdated, and it's garbage, and that you can't apply it to now, and this this... Corinthian study, I mean, it looks just like current day, current day America, current day life on earth. And it's just divisiveness and us fighting each other and fighting ourselves. And I keep coming up, keep thinking of this verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, human beings, but our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Our struggle is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I think we forget about that a lot of times. And we start, first of all, we fight ourselves. We don't give ourselves a chance. We start being selfish and thinking, oh, i got to fix this. And we can't, we can't fix the flesh. It's weak, and God already, God already has victory over it. 
It's not something we have to fix. We just need to sidestep it and give and love ourselves and give ourselves a second chance. And then as far as others, we need to have patience. It's real easy to give up on people. It's real easy to not have patience. Like Pastor said, we, were, we remember all the wrongs they did and we forget what we've done. So we forget to forgive them and have patience. And then ultimately, if we can't forgive ourselves and to love ourselves and have patience with others, we're definitely not going to give God a chance. We're not going to remain faithful to Him. We're going to just give up on God too and be like, well, He doesn't have my back. They don't have my back. I don't even have my back. So why should I even worry? And then Satan's got to check. We're all worried. We're in our own head. We're not, not giving ourselves a second chance or others. And we're not even thinking about God. Meanwhile, our struggle is not against the flesh, but he's got us all worried about the flesh, all worried about trying to fix ourselves. But there's no fixing us. We're already, we're already as believers, we're done. We've got victory. We don't have to worry about the flesh. And I think a lot of people think about that every day, and they start looking at each other and dividing each other and Especially our, you know, our families at home, we fight them. They're the flesh, and we get stuck fighting them. Or we come here and we start fighting our royal family. What, what good does that do? It doesn't help anything. We need to work together, and that's unity, and that's what this place is for, is unity, to unite around Christ, unite around a real message from the Bible. And so that's why we always give you the chance to off, at the offering to, to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And the best way to do that is to enact or get, get, you know, get your spiritual gift in order and see what it can do with this church, and see it take wings. And it's, it's interesting, Pastor mentioned his son scoring 31 points. You know, he was, he was fighting against the team, fighting against his coach, and he, made, he, made, he's, he was a phenomenal basketball player. He still probably is. And I would, if, if I was in that game, I would have probably fouled out in 31 seconds, mm-hmm. not scored 31 points. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's interesting that a lot of people, you know, him for one, he kind of gave up on his basketball dream. You know, he let the world show him where he should go rather than just, you know, giving himself a second chance and having faith in, in the Lord and going for it. You know, and I think we should, we should all remember that lesson and all go for it. And this is our chance at Barat Ministries. So thank you very much.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Beatles were right. All you need is love. Well, when we think of the Corinthian church, oh, there it is. All you need is love. That was a little late. Unconditional love cures everything. And one of the great things about it is it's something that you have control over. You know, you can sit there and wait for somebody to give you the apology you think you deserve or to wait for somebody to reach out to you. But when you're doing that, which you really, you're never going to let them win. So you might as well just love them. And when you love somebody unconditionally, you don't have to like them. I mean, what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees. No, you don't. What Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees in the beginning of our lesson about how they turn one of their converts into a son of hell. He didn't like that, but he loved them because he's able to separate the doer from the deed. Right? See, God talks about the sin of homosexuality. He doesn't turn it into an identity. You're a homosexual. See? He talks about the deed, not the doer. He loves the doer, but he doesn't like the deed. And the deed he doesn't like, he paid for it at the cross. So he's got the whole thing covered. That's unconditional. That's amazing. That's our God. All right, so when we think of the Corinthian church, we have to know that they, like us, when they became believers in Christ, were placed into union with Christ. Here's what that looks like. You, Christ, in union, and you can't get out. Why? Because the person who put you into union with them is immutable. He never changes. He does not take back what he does, and you can't undo what he does. There you have it. All right. So this union calls on us to have the same God, to be a part of the same body, the body of Christ, to share the same baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, to have the same mind, and to share the same truth, the Word of God. And that's what's so funny to me. Uh, you know, I have a, a guy that I coach who's a believer in Christ, and when I start talking to him about Scripture, he has a completely under, different understanding of Scripture than I do. Now, the main reason for that is I've been studying Scripture from the original languages for about 40 years, and he hasn't. He has a very legalistic view that is put into him by false teachers, men who are introducing destructive heresies, like you can lose your salvation. All right, but here's the truth. God sees everything one way. Our job is to see it like he sees it. Our job is not to interpret it or modify it so that it's okay with us. I was watching a thing where Pierce, uh, you know the guy who's on these shows like The Voice and stuff, Pierce something, I forget what his last name is. He's a British guy. Say it again. No, that's an actor. But... He, he's real, a real pompous guy, and he, he hosts a show out of Great Britain. But he was talking to Joel Osteen, and he was asking Joel Osteen if, if homosexuality was okay. 
And Joel Osteen said, well, I just believe what the Bible says. And the Bible says it's a sin. And so I don't, yeah, and, and Pierce said, well, yeah, but don't you think that you as a pastor have to get with the times and just adjust yourself to the realities of today? And Joel Osteen said, no. No. No, here's what God says. And 20 years ago, 20 years ago it applied. And 20 years from now, it's still going to apply. Homosexuality is a sin. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like anybody. It doesn't mean I condemn anybody. You have free will. Do what you want to do. But what the Word of God says is this. So the next thing you hear is, it was uh, a paramedic unit coming to revive me. I couldn't believe that Joel Osteen actually said, defended something that was in the Bible. I couldn't believe it. I fainted. Threw up, I couldn't, it was just unbelievable. But he's right. He's absolutely right. God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. Amen? He doesn't change. And so you don't want to hear that homosexuality is a sin? Too bad. Lying's a sin too. You don't want to hear it? Too bad. And again, he paid for all those sins. So get off it. Do you want to have the lifestyle you want to have? Run it. Let's see how it works out. Do you notice we never hear anything about homosexual marriages and how they're going? Did you notice that we never hear anything about statistics? We never hear that they fight more than man and women married couples do. We don't hear anything about it. It's so funny. But you know they're human beings just like everybody else. You know they have problems just like everybody else, but we don't ever hear about it. That's Satan's kingdom, protecting what he, want, what he values and castigating what he doesn't. All right, so when, when two believers see the same thing in Scripture, they ought to interpret it the exact same way, to be of the same mind. But divisiveness is not the same mind. Oh, you have your opinion and I have my opinion. Yeah, that's right. Your opinion is wrong. <laughs> when two believers or two people disagree on what the Bible has to say, one or both of them are wrong because the Bible's not wrong, and that's why we teach the Word of God from God's perspective. Well, the Corinthians were a group of people divided who happened to worship in the same church but they were not on each other's side. The latest divisiveness came from the elite believers in Corinth who claimed, my spiritual gift is better than yours. And the Apostle Paul is addressing the issue. Now, chapter 13 really begins at the end of chapter 12 where the Apostle Paul says in verse 31, and by the way, remember, there are no chapter breaks in the original language. They don't separate them into chapters like we do. So this, was a, this letter was a constant flow. It wasn't divided into chapters. So chapter 12 is really the, the introduction verse of chapter 13. Here's what it says. But keep on earnestly desiring the use of the greater grace spiritual gifts, pursuing the use of your gifts with the fervor of a zealot. And I, Paul, will show you that there's still a more excellent way to use your fervor. Well, what's the more excellent way to use 
your fervor. It was right out of the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. It comes straight out of the Doobie Brothers song, Long Train Running, which asks, without love, where would you be now? Or the, what is that movie where the guys are doing the head job like this? What? Yeah, Night at the Roxbury. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Right? There are a lot of songs about love and how important love is. But those songs are usually talking about romantic, lighter fluid love, which is just like you take some lighter fluid and you spray it on coals and the flame flares up and then it goes away. The unconditional love is like the coals. It starts burning and it keeps an intensity level. And it keeps burning and burning and burning. And if you keep putting coals on it, it doesn't burn out. That's the kind of relationship you're looking for. Not this. I, I, the, when people say this, it just drives me crazy. I fell out of love with you. Well, first of all, you shouldn't have fallen in love because nothing good happens when you're falling. Amen? But if you fall in love, you're probably going to fall out of love. And, and what did Tina say? What's love got to do Got to do with it. Baby, don't hurt this is a concert. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Well, I'm sorry. I, that's not my lane. We are, didn't we talk about that last week? Stay in your lane. Singing is not my lane. Man, it's like the, as you say this stuff from up here, it doesn't land, you know? Paul's message comes straight out of the Beatles song. So the still more excellent way that is being mentioned in verse 31 is to have spiritual gifts and to use them with unconditional love. See, a lot of times when you use your spiritual gift, people don't appreciate it. But if you have unconditional love, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the Lord. And so whether they appreciate it or not doesn't even matter. Love is the supreme Christian virtue. A loving Lord, Jesus Christ, is the cornerstone of this virtuous life, and love is his operating philosophy. Now, after discussing a few of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul contends that the spiritual gifts without a foundation of unconditional love are useless. The Lord Jesus Christ is, in his very person, unconditional love, and he wants his believers to reflect this same unconditional love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says this, The one who does not love unconditionally does not know the Lord. Unbelievers don't love anybody unconditionally. That's what I love about unbelievers. They are so predictable. It's always going to be the same. I love you when you're good. I hate you when you're bad. If you make a mistake, you're out. So the one who does not love unconditionally doesn't know the Lord, for the Lord is unconditional love. It's his person. It's his identity. It's who he is. Love is who he is. It's not something he does. Now, if God didn't have unconditional love for his creatures, there would be no way that he would allow human history to exist, uh, 
where Satan gets to prove his contention that God is unloving and unfair. How can a loving God cast one of his creatures into the lake of fire? That's not fair. Well, God is omniscient. He knows all that is knowable. And since he already knows everything, he especially knows that he is loving and that he is fair. Fair enough to let Satan try to prove otherwise. Satan can't prove that God is unloving and unfair, and he won't prove that God is unloving and unfair. Well, your spiritual gift as a believer in Christ, a gift given to you by God, either builds up or tears down members of your church. You can even tear others down and your church down from the non-use of your spiritual gift. There are a lot of believers in Christ who have spiritual gifts. They are operative, and they're using them for for foul purposes. People who have the gift of pastor-teacher, and yet are in a discipline that teaches people how to do worldly things, where their spiritual gift has a tremendous amount of charisma, and the people in the world get sucked in by their charisma and follow them, That's a misuse of the spiritual gift, and it's designed to tear people down, not to build people up. So, the elitist Corinthians claimed that if you speak in tongues, you are spiritual. And if you don't speak in tongues, you are not spiritual. Now, what tongues was originally for is it was a warning to the Jews that they were about to be set aside. And it corresponded to a promise that had been made in the Old Testament. It, wasn't, it had not, no connection to spirituality whatsoever. But that's what people have turned it into. Tongues was the beginning of the Pentecostal movement. And we got a lot of people in our church who are part, uh, who are come from the Pentecostal movement. You know, you know they get up on, they, the pastor will be teaching, they'll all come walking up onto the stage with their Bible, you know, their hand up in the air, walking around, stomping, turning around, looking at their Bible, don't even know what the damn reading. They're over in the Old Testament. Amen? <laughs> what is love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me, no more. No, man, hey. This is why. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No I ain't more. trying to hurt nobody. There's about 10 people in here who had a flashback. <laughs> they had a flashback. They saw themselves doing that. And they're thinking, what was I doing? What was I doing? I know. You still do. <laughs> June said, I used to speak in tongues. She still does. All of her songs are in tongues. I'm surprised we understand any of them. (laughs) My goodness. So, look. The elitist Corinthians claim that if you speak in tongues, you're spiritual. And if you don't speak in tongues, you're not spiritual. That was the beginning of the Pentecostal movement. But Paul's claim is that any spiritual gift is empty without the foundation of unconditional love, holding it up. Teaching is a love for me, and it is held up by unconditional love, because believe me, if I didn't love all of you unconditionally, I could simply not do this job. It's too hard. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, now we start our study verse by verse. Paul speaks of himself, but he is clearly being indirect, and he's talking to, talking about, in fact, slamming, 
the Corinthian believers. So he's saying this about himself, but he really means it for, for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I, Paul, speak with human tongues, and of course I do, it's a first-class condition if in the Greek, if I speak with the tongues of angels, and I do, but I don't have unconditional love as my foundation, I have become a noisy gong, which in Greek is a sounding brass, or a clanging cymbal. And cymbal is singular here, not like the kind we have, which there are two of them banging together. This is one cymbal. Now, sounding brass was an idiom, and what it signified was empty-headed speech. People who are talking smack. A discordant cacophony. And a cacophony is, imagine that you have five stereos playing different songs at the same time. That creates a cacophony. And it's just noise, and you want it to go away and stop. Empty-headed speech. You just want it to go away. Stop, please. My mom would have said, there's nothing worse than being loud and wrong. She said that to me about a hundred times. I don't think she was talking to me. I think she was just teaching a lesson, but you never know. Anyway, Paul, the Apostle Paul, made a trip to the third heaven and when he was there, he heard the tongues of angels. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 to 4 say this, I, Paul, know a man in union with Christ, he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Such a man was caught up, and that's the Greek word harpazo, meaning raptured, seized up, taken up, and exit resurrection, such a man was taken up to the third heaven. That was Paul. He was raptured to the third heaven. He got to go to the abode of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. And I know such a man, whether in body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. 2 Corinthians 12, 4. Was ca caught up, there's Harpazo again, into paradise. That is a location in heaven a location that you will see one day if you're a believer in Christ. And he heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak about, that a man is not permitted to speak about to humans. He saw things and he heard things, the tongues of angels, and he's not permitted to say anything about it. That's what he's talking about. One day we're going to experience paradise. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. If I, Paul, have the gift of prophecy, and I do, first class condition, if, if and it's true, and if I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I do, first class condition, if and it's true, and if I have all faith, and I do, so as to move mountains, doing the impossible, he could do miracles, and I do, but do not have unconditional love, I am nothing. See, to Paul, this is math. Your spiritual gift minus unconditional love equals nothing. It's an equation. Your spiritual gift minus unconditional love is nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. And if Paul, if I, Paul, give all my possessions to feed the poor, that's called philanthropy. Philanthropy from two Greek, Greek words, philos, love, anthropos, man, the love of man. When you give philanthropically, you're loving men, and I do. And if I surrender my body to be burned, martyrdom, and I do, 
but did not have unconditional love, it profits me nothing. Great start to the letter. Fire is a painful death. Fire is an extreme form of self-sacrifice, a martyrdom. Yet Paul contends that without love, it means nothing. You know what came to mind? The Muslims who, are, who blow themselves up. Okay? So there's the martyrdom. But do they have unconditional love for all mankind? No, they go blow up Jews. That is not a demonstration of unconditional love. Being a martyr without love is meaningless. And by the way, they're promised seven virgins in heaven for doing something like that. But, you know, you got to read the small print. It's seven boys. <laughs> being a martyr without... <laughs> being a... <laughs> what did you say? Something's really going on inside of me today. Being a martyr without unconditional love is meaningless. And the Lord Jesus Christ understood this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this, I, Paul, have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in dwelling me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me unconditionally and who gave himself as a sin sacrifice for me. That is one of the most important verses to Christians, and I'll give you the, the Greek paraphrase of the verse. I, Paul, have been crucified with Christ. When you become a believer in Christ, you are crucified with Christ. And it is no longer the I life that lives, no longer the selfish life that lives. But Christ lives in dwelling me. Christ sits on the throne of your life and is directing your life, and is the pilot of your life, and God the Holy Spirit is the teacher who directs you. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me unconditionally, and who gave himself up for me. There is no greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus Christ did for you, for you personally. Many times we do the right things with the wrong motivation. Love has to be the motivator of Christianity and of Christians. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You know, I think about Steve Jobs. You know, died at 56 of pancreatic cancer. He made a, an amazing contribution to the world. But did he do it with love? Absolutely not. You should see his... The, read the book about him and watch the movie about him. He didn't do it with love. Was he a believer in Christ? I hope so. The last words that he said on earth was, oh, 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 wow. Hopefully that was him seeing Jesus Christ as a personal escort. But we don't know. But he, he had more money than you could shake a stick at. Did it matter? Did he take it with him? Is he Egyptian? Did they put it in his, in his tomb with him? You know, like the Egyptians used to do. They used to put all their possessions. I went down in the pyramids. And here's the thing. If you ever get to do that, it's a great thing. But you can only spend two seconds down there. There's no air down there. You go in, you look, and you get out because you can't breathe down there. There's no air. But what good does it do to have all those possessions. You know, one of my uncles, 
when he died, he told, you know, I, I've got two brothers and a sister. He told the four of us to put $500 in his casket because he was kind of thinking like the Egyptians, like he might need some money, right? So my brother goes up there, he puts 500 in. My sister goes up and puts 500 in. My younger brother goes up and put 500 in. I took the 1500 out and wrote him a check. <laughs> He, he didn't say how you had to do it. <laughs> so, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. So, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I think about Bill Gates. I think about Warren Buffett and what I've seen them say about God. God doesn't factor in to their lives, but the God of Procter and Gamble factors into their lives. The God of stocks, the God of wealth factors into their lives. But what good is that going to do in the two hours when they're in hospice getting euthanized with morphine? That money isn't going to do anything. What difference does it make? None. But what difference does it make just the three minutes before the two hours of euthanization happen, that you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior and that you're about two hours away from meeting him. What does that do for you? That's amazing. So you can put on a show of love and not have love. You can be a phony, and most people are. If you have unconditional love, it shows. The fruit of the Spirit is manifest, is demonstrated, it's physically visible. Now, when Paul says, I am nothing, he's talking about an identity. He's talking about who you are. Who you are, if you don't have love, is nothing. God cares about why we do things, our motivation. He expects us to love people, motivated by our love for Christ, so Paul starts this letter by making a simple statement to the believers in Corinth. He tells them that if they think having a certain spiritual gift makes them special, and that gift is devoid of unconditional love for all the people in that congregation, as well as all the people in the world, they may as well not even have the gift. Well, next week, we'll learn what unconditional love really is. The closing moments of our study today are a reminder that God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. And I don't ever want anybody to come to Barah Ministries and say that they had not learned exactly what it takes to get to heaven. So in the next six minutes, I'm going to tell you exactly what it takes to get to heaven. And I'm going to encourage you to do exactly what this says. So the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, wants you in heaven, living with him for all eternity, when you close your eyes in this life. The Lord says there are only two possible destinations for your eternal future, either heaven, the small gate and the narrow way, or the lake of fire, the wide gate and the broad way, described in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through that gate, that wide gate, 
Matthew 7:14. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to the resurrection life, and there are few who find the small gate. Those who are on the broad way that leads to destruction may think there is strength in numbers. Yet that is not true. Believing what everybody else believes does not save you. Placing your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ saves you. The Lord Jesus Christ is the author of your salvation. He is 100% God. That's why we call him Lord. And he is 100% man, true humanity, just like you and me. And that's why we call him by his first and last name, Jesus Christ. Jesus says he is the small gate. Jesus says he is the only way to get to heaven. And it's true. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. The Lord's plan to get you to heaven is detailed in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, which says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Those on the broad way that leads to destruction place their confidence in Satan's plan for them. God's enemy is a liar who sponsors false teachers. The Lord Jesus Christ warns you about them in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets, false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, appearing harmless, who inwardly are ravenous wolves out to destroy your eternal future. As ravenous wolves, ravenous means really hungry, really vicious wolves, false teachers threaten your chance for a great eternity in heaven by deceiving you with a false gospel message. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 illuminates the issue. It says this, There is a way that seems right to a man. And the way that seems right to a man is saving yourself by thinking your good deeds will earn salvation. But its end is the way of death, the second death in the lake of fire. Get yourself on the narrow way that leads to an eternal life in heaven right this minute. Tell God the Father, that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Which road will you choose for your eternal life? Don't wait until it's too late to consider what road you're on. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent, which means change your mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in his gospel message. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, the Zoe life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Another warning for those who choose the broad way is offered in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, by obeying the gospel message, will enter heaven. Matthew 7, 22, Many of you will say to me on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name, didn't we cast out demons? 
And in your name did we not perform many miracles? Matthew 7, 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice a lifestyle of lawlessness. What is a lifestyle of lawlessness? Is it sin? No. It's the lifestyle of unrighteousness. And what is unrighteousness? Refusing to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what unrighteousness is. Believers in Christ are not unrighteous. We are not sinners. We are saints. Who is this God that offers to save you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, which say this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance the gospel message, the good news I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ has a true gospel message and it is the will of God the Father that you believe in his Son, that you have a personal relationship with him. Those who choose the narrow way have decided that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the only ticket to heaven. If you choose the narrow way, I'll see you in heaven. All right, well, let's close with music. All you need is love. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, the Lord says this, A new mandate I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give to you, that you love one another unconditionally. Even as I have loved you unconditionally, you also do well to love one another unconditionally. John 13, 35. By this unconditional love, all men will know that you are my mathetes, my technical students, my disciples if you have unconditional love for one another. June Murphy will sing one of the best songs ever written, a song she wrote, and she will sing it well, or else, and she sings it from God's perspective, when I say I love you.
emotional It's part of who I am And it flows from my integrity songs ever. A doxology of praise to our God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back because he cares for you. And he cares for you is a Greek idiom, and it means God considers your problems to be his responsibility. 
Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we, we thank you so much that you're on our side. And we thank you that you are the ultimate Father who plans and protects and provides and is present for your children. And we just ask us that help us to be worthy of you through the direction of God the Holy Spirit. Help us to reflect you and your Son and the Holy Spirit in everything we think, in everything we say, in everything we do, so as to win people for Christ and to lead them out of the kingdom of darkness into your marvelous light. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.